Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, This horde is going to lick up everything around us, as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor, near the river in his native land. Balak said, A people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed, and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You mustn't put a curse on those people because they are blessed. The next morning Balaam got up and said to Balak's princess, Go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princess returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak said, other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first. They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, Even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I couldn't do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up in the morning, settled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards, with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, 
What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you, because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she hadn't turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at a Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to B- Balak said to Balaam, Did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I have come to you now, Balaam replied. But can I say just anything? I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath Huzoth. Balaam sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to the Bemoth Baal, and from there he saw part of the people. Quite a long chapter, and in many ways a bit puzzling, strange, and difficult to our modern-day minds with summoning curses and things like that. It's also a little bit embarrassing, the whole story of Balaam. Have you ever been embarrassed? Well, I probably don't need to ask who I. We've all been embarrassed at times, probably more often than we would like to think of. We did something, we said something, and just seconds later we cringe and we said, oh, how could I possibly have done that or failed to do this? And we feel terribly embarrassed. But we feel embarrassed because we realize that what we have done is embarrassing, is wrong, we shouldn't have done it. Now Balaam, by all means, is in a very embarrassing situation with the donkey, recognizing things that he doesn't. But he doesn't seem to be embarrassed, he doesn't seem to realize exactly what he is doing. So just as an introduction to our passage this morning, Numbers, and particularly here this chapter, Israel is in the desert, so they were slaves in Egypt. God freed them from Egypt, led them out, and brought them to the very borders of the land that he had promised Abraham. When they get there, they send out some spies to uh, sort of have a look at the lay of the land, and the spies come back that the land is wonderful but it's occupied by giants, so they say there's no way that we can take this land, completely forgetting that God is with them. They had numerous experiences of God 
leading them miraculously out of Egypt, being with them since. But because of these doubts, God said, well, this generation will not enter the land. So they wander through the desert for 40 years before they can finally enter the land later. This chapter in Numbers, we're sort of near the end of those 40 years. They're still in the desert. But just because God didn't allow them to enter a land at this point doesn't mean that he has abandoned them. He's still with them. And Israel has just conquered the Amorites. And the king of Moab is afraid that the same thing will happen to him. So Balak, the king, is worried. These people seem too numerous, too strong, and they have this strange God on their side as well. So he seeks help from Balaam, a Mesopotamian diviner, someone who sort of deals in blessings and curses, hoping he can put a divine curse on this army, Israel, so that he, Balak, can defeat them, or at least defend against them. Now, Balaam is an interesting character. He's obviously some kind of businessman dealing in curses and blessings. He's a diviner, but he's in it as an occupation. He's in it for the money. Note in verse 7 of our chapter that Balak's messengers came with a fee. He was being paid to perform a certain service to bless or to curse. But he does seem to realize that he can only work with the Lord, not against him. So first of all, it's interesting that this is a Mesopotamian diviner who deals with gold, not with other gods, but at least on this occasion with the God of Israel. So when the messengers of Balak bring this request before him, the request that he curses Israel, he isn't disinclined to do so. But having been told by God not to curse Israel, he sends them away and says, no, sorry, the Lord has refused to let me go with you. God called the people blessed. He is not going to curse them. Well, Balak is not persuaded and sends a second lot of more distinguished messengers with the same request and the promise of a much greater financial reward. And this is where it starts to get a little bit strange. Balaam already has heard of God that the people of Israel are blessed. He is not to curse them. So that seems kind of clear-cut. But Balaam tells them, well, I can't go against the command of the Lord, but I can check again. I can have another chat with him and see if maybe he's changed his mind, if there is some wiggle room that maybe I can put a little curse on them. Let's see what can be done. After all, there was this big reward in the offering. And this time, the Lord allows him to go with the messengers to Balak with the very explicit warning to only do what he tells them. 
And then we have the episode with the donkey. So he's on his journey to Moab and he is confronted by an angel of the Lord, only he doesn't realize it. So that's where the embarrassing situation happens. But he doesn't realize it's embarrassing, so he doesn't feel embarrassed. He just gets angry with the donkey. The donkey sees the angel of the Lord standing in his way and thinks, ooh, that's scary, I'm not going there. Tries to go another way, and Balaam gets angry and hits the donkey and tries to get him to go where he wants them to go. Hits the donkey three times, and then finally, the donkey's mouth is opened by God and he speaks. And even then, Balaam doesn't get embarrassed, although the situation for anyone watching is very cringeworthy. Here is a diviner, someone who deals in curses, blessings, spiritual things, gods, the gods. And there's an angel standing right in front of him, blocking his path, and he doesn't recognize him. The donkey speaks to him. Even that doesn't sort of wake him up, but he starts a discussion with the donkey. Oh, what do you think you're doing? You're my donkey. You should go where I tell you to. And then finally, his eyes are opened, and he is confronted with the angel of the Lord. So it's very clear that God isn't pleased with Balaam's course of action. But once again, he's sent on his way. Well, if you really have to go, want to go, go, but only say what I tell you to say. And then when Balaam meets Balak, his employer, the one who's hired this consultant in blessings and curses, he does make quite clear that no matter what the reward, he can only speak what God puts in his mouth, verse 38. So there is that. But then there's also the tension with, I'm going to try again. And we see this over and over in the passage. God is consistent. He always tells him the same thing. You're not to curse these people. They are blessed by me. Okay, so he passes the message on, but then he's quite willing to try again to take a different approach, bring some extra offerings, what have you, to see if he can't change God's mind. So we stopped reading at the end of uh, chapter 22, when first Balak brings sacrifices, <coughs> and we'll read some verses in the next chapter, where after Balak sacrificed Balaam, brings sacrifices as well. So chapter 23, verse 1, Balaam said, build me seven altars here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me. Balak did as Balaam said, and the two of them offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stay here beside your offering while I go aside. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet with me. Whatever he reveals to me, I will tell you. Then he went off to a barren height. God met with him, and Balaam said, I have prepared seven altars, and on each altar I have offered a bull and a ram. The Lord put a message in Balaam's mouth and said, Go back to Balak and give him this message. So he went back to him and found him standing beside his offering with all the princes of Moab. And then Balaam uttered his oracle. Balak brought me from Aram, 
the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God hasn't cursed? How can I denounce those whom God hasn't denounced? From the rocky peaks I see them, from the heights I view them. I see people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count on the dust of Jacob or the number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my end be like theirs. Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I have brought you to curse my enemies, but you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So Balak, Balaam comes to God and says, look at these, these altars and these offerings, seven of them, surely we can do a deal here, surely you can change your mind and curse these people. But he receives a message from God, and again, the good thing is he does faithfully pass it on to Balak. And the centerpiece of the message is, how can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? And Balak, of course, is kind of astonished. He's hired this man to do a job, and he does the exact opposite. He doesn't curse, he blesses. So he's astonished, and, well, this is not what he has paid for, but Balaam says, well, when he gets confronted by Balak, must I not speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? Well, Balak isn't satisfied, but he's not willing to give up yet. He feels that with the proper ritual and the proper place of sacrifice, the Lord can probably be manipulated. Now, you would have expected that at this point, finally, Balaam would have said, no, look, enough is enough. God has said so several times now. We're not going to put a curse on these people. But he goes along with it. You never know. Maybe God will change his mind. So another sacrifice is made. But the message of the Lord is still not what Balak wants. However, this message seems to have a pointer for Balaam himself as well. God says, God is not a son of man that he should change his mind. Now surely, by this time, with that specific sentence aimed at him, Balaam should withdraw from the whole project. But again, he lets himself be taken to another site to bring yet another sacrifice, because Balak is irritated. He went from astonishment to irritation. What on earth are you doing? I brought you here, I'm willing to pay you, and you make a big mess of things. So we're going to have another attempt. To his credit, to Balaam's credit, it must be said that he, Verse 24.1, he didn't resort to sorcery as at other times. But he does keep trying contrary to what God has very clearly revealed to him. And this time he utters the strongest blessing yet, blessing not curse of Israel. And it ends with 
24.9, like a lion they crouch and lie down. So that's talking about Israel. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse them? May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. That's what God is saying to Balaam and what Balaam is offering up to Balak. Those who curse you be cursed. The whole exercise was to try and curse Israel. And God says, well, if you do that, you will be cursed. So the strongest blessing yet, and Balak quite understandably blows his top, gets very, very angry, sends Balaam home without any reward. And before Balaam goes, he gives a final warning to Balak of what might happen, 24-14 and onwards. Now I'm going back to my people, but come let me warn you of what these people will do to your people in days to come. And then he uttered this oracle. The oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eye sees clearly. The oracle of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are now opened. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Sarah, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. That's the warning Balaam leaves Balak with. So what can we say about this man, Balaam? Strange situation. He was a diviner, someone who made money from those who would seek favor or direction from the gods, or maybe the true god. That was his business, that's what he dealt in. And on the positive side, it must be said that, at least on this occasion, he does go to the true God, the God of Israel, and speaks his words only. He, he never tries to twist God's words. He passes them on faithfully to Balak. He doesn't put a spin on it and says, yeah, yeah, God will curse them when God said that he wouldn't. So there is that. He has shown that on several occasions in this story. We do know from 24.1 that on previous occasions, at least, he was quite willing to resort to sorcery. But he doesn't now. Although he doesn't, in the final instance, go against God, he is not averse to manipulate him, as we've seen various times in this passage. At the very beginning, when the first princes of Moab arrive with Balak's request, please come to me and curse Israel, God says, no, don't do it, these people are blessed. Then some more messengers come, more money is offered, and he goes. He gets the same message from God, don't curse these people, they are blessed. Oh, well, let's put some sacrifices on. He keeps on 
pursuing the same thing, although he has a very clear message from God. God has made clear his position, and Balaam tries to manipulate him and see, isn't there a way that we can change this? So I can get my fee, I can pronounce the curse. At the end of the book of Joshua, just before they're entering the promised land, God says, I wouldn't listen to Balaam, so he blessed you. Kind of against his will almost, he had to pronounce a blessing on Israel. From the episode with the donkey and the angel of the Lord who opposed Balaam, it's obvious that he shouldn't have gone in the first place. He shouldn't have taken this any further. He had a clear answer from God, no curse on these people, and yet he goes, he shouldn't have. He should have let it rest at that, but it seems that it was greed that let him to have a go anyway, let's just try it and see if we can't do anything here. Maybe there is some wiggle room. And Peter in the New Testament, second letter, writes that Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. The wages, the greed, that's what motivated him. And if that meant entering into wickedness, as Peter puts it, fine, we'll do that. Then after having received a very clear message of blessing, he tries again to curse and then the message of the Lord which again is a blessing of Israel includes this reminder we saw that God doesn't change his mind as people do basically telling him just give it a rest I've told you what the situation is I'm God I'm not going to change my mind just leave it be but he tries a third time so although Balaam does speak the words of God, he doesn't truly know him. He doesn't really obey him. He certainly doesn't try to serve him. But he uses him as a source of financial gain and tries to manipulate. And it seems that um, he had some parting advice for Balak. The beginning of 25, we see that uh, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women, who invited them to sacrifice to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods, so Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord's anger burned against them. Now, if you turn with me very briefly to the very end, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 2.14, throws light on this. this. This wasn't just a bright idea of Balak, who might have thought, well, if it's God who blesses these people, let's try and tease them away from that God. Let's try to have them indulge in idolatry and worshipping other gods and maybe then this blessing will disappear. It wasn't just a bright idea of Balak. In the letter to the church in Pergamon, 
it says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you, against the people of that particular church. You have people there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. So that throws some light on what is happening there in the beginning of 25. Obviously, the church in Pergamon had a similar kind of situation, maybe with food sacrificed to idols, sexual immorality, those kind of things. And Balaam is used as an illustration of that. So it was Balaam's idea to manipulate Israel in that way. He couldn't manipulate God. Well, let's get his people away from that God then. Maybe that will finally work. So that's the advice he gave Balak as he left him. So what can we learn from this puzzling passage? First of all, there is the idea of trying to manipulate God, and that doesn't work. And sometimes People nowadays, we can be like that. Oh, Lord, if you only help me in this one situation, I will. And then whatever promise comes after, I will serve you faithfully, or I will never bother you again. Whatever it might be, or I will give up this particular sin, this particular vice. Trying to do a deal with God to twist his arm to make him do something that you want. That's what... Balaam was doing. There's a distinction between speaking the right words, speaking the words of God, which Balaam was doing. He never twisted God's words. He never left stuff out. He passed it along faithfully. But there is a difference between speaking the right words and truly knowing, loving, and obeying the one who gives those words. And that's what Balaam didn't do. He didn't love, he didn't know, he didn't obey. He went against God. He was a businessman in it for the money and saw God as a source of power that could be sort of focused on something. And the people who wanted that particular focus would pay him for the service. Secondly, God allows us freedom to pursue certain courses of action. He left Balaam the freedom to go with Balak messengers back to Moab. He gives us freedom to do certain things even if they don't please him. He doesn't necessarily withdraw from us the first wrong step we take. But we shouldn't mistake the fact that he allows us to go in a certain direction for his blessing of that course of action. The Christian praying, Lord, if you don't want me to go there, close that door so I can't go there if it's not your will. That can be kind of a lazy prayer. It's fair enough if you're faced with a choice and you've prayed about it and you've looked at the different options, you weighed them against God's words, and there isn't really anything to say this or that. And you're kind of flummoxed. Well, that's 
fine, by all means, pray that the Lord will close the door on one of them if it is not his will. But to say, I'm just going to do my thing, I'm going to lead my life, if God doesn't like it, he can stop me. If he doesn't want me to go to the pub and get drunk so I beat my wife afterwards, let him close the pub. If he does that, okay, I won't drink. God doesn't do that. You can pursue wrong courses of action and he won't necessarily block them for you. You have a degree of freedom, you have choices to make. Balaam could have made the right choice and never left Mesopotamia and told Balak, sorry, I cannot do this, God has told me clearly, let's not take it any further. But he didn't. God can work in someone's life even if his actions and attitudes aren't pleasing to him. You can't say, I have God's blessings in my life, therefore my life is perfect, my life is good. You can't say, our church is bigger than my friend's church, so we are better, we are closer to the center of God's will, we are better Christians. Just because there is a blessing of a certain kind doesn't necessarily mean that the person being blessed is good or is okay. Balaam wasn't. But God still chose to speak to him. Strange, but he did. So God can work in someone's life like he worked in and through Balaam, even though his actions and attitudes aren't pleasing. We should go by the word of God as on one level Balaam was passing that word of God alone, but he wasn't acting on it himself. He could have acted after this first refusal to curse, but he didn't act on it. That's the only safe course of action that we have. Go by the word of God, use that as the compass for the way we should go. Not thinking that a blessing confirms that I'm going in the right way. God might well bless and still frown on certain of my actions. Remember, God spoke to Balaam, but from the passage itself and, and the other references we read from the New Testament, we know very well he wasn't pleased with Balaam at all. What pleases God is a dedication to him, a life that is lived for him, love and obedience. When we truly know him, we can avoid Balaam's mistakes of a superficial kind of obedience, but really attempts to manipulate God do this for me and then I will, like you're bargaining, like it's an exchange really, you are going to exchange a bargain with God? I don't think so. The only way to deal with him, if you want to use that phrase, is to bow down, to say thank you Lord for what you have done and my only response is to dedicate my life to you because of this immeasurably great gift that you have given to love you 
because you have loved me first and to live a life that is truly pleasing to him. That might mean you won't probably pass on any prophecies or blessings like Balaam did, but you don't need to feel any the worse for it. Balaam certainly wasn't a man who pleased God. We can please God by this love and this dedication, by this response of what he has done for us, to live our lives praising him. So, shall we close by singing, O God, beyond all praising? <laughs>